Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for our worship team bringing you praise, helping us to get our hearts and minds set for you to speak and for you to move. Move me, Lord, so that we can experience you. We're thankful for every person that's contributing towards worship this, during this time, even our fam at home that's praying. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was just some days ago, not more than a week, that, that there were smiles on everyone's faces. There was joy in the air. You could hear the roar of the crowd as they waved palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, celebrating God in the highest. This Christ, they were saying to him, save us. The people were excited. And so how do we switch? How does it go from a waving of a palm branch to a yelling or a screaming, crucify him? How does this type of shift, this type of change take place? Well, I want to encourage you to do something that happens every Every Friday or Saturday night, every Friday or Saturday night, people are watching these mysteries, whether it's CSI or uh, uh, all the CSI, Miami, Detroit, you know, the, all those different. Every week you watch one of those mysteries. And they ask the same four questions. Those four questions you were taught to ask in school. Who? Where? What? And why? I think those four questions, those basic four questions that give us understanding on any situation will apply to our understanding for how such a crazy shift could take place from people praising to now wanting to see Christ punished. So if you will turn with me to Mark chapter 15, we will allow these words of the Lord written by Brother Mark to give us some understanding. We kick it off by understanding first, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes, the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used, he now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, 
crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus was a, an innocent man. If you pause and just look back at those words written by Mark that help us understand the perspective of Pilate, you see uh, that Pilate doesn't think this is going that far. He's thinking this man is going to be beaten and then it's going to go far enough that Jesus had made some Jewish people very angry, but that 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 death was not going to happen. You can see his thought in verse 10 where he says, I think they delivered him up out of envy, some some anger, some jealousy. But does envy lead to death? Does envy lead towards life being lost? He doesn't think it's going to go that far. He even goes so far as to be shocked when people select Barabbas over Jesus. Why? Why? Why is he saying this? He's, he's saying this because he knows Jesus is innocent. He's saying this because he, he, he knows that this man has not done something worthy of death. He is like a mama that knows when all the cookies have been stolen. He knows somebody lying. And so this, this, this pilot even says, what evil has he, has he done? He knows that Jesus has done something wrong, but not something guilty of death. He knows that that he is innocent. And if you were to put your finger in the book of Mark and to flip back through other pages of the Gospels that help us understand this, we see in, in Matthew, Judas betrayed Jesus, but later he said, I betrayed a man of innocent blood on Matthew 27, 4. That Pilate was the Roman governor responsible for the trial of Jesus, but three times Pilate said he found no fault in Jesus. If you look at John chapter 18, Pilate's wife sent him a message saying Jesus was a righteous man. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 24, and Pilate sent Jesus to King Herod for a hearing and later, Pilate said Herod found nothing in Jesus worthy of death, we find in Luke 23, 15. And so we see even those that are guilty say from on a cross next to him in Luke chapter 23, one of the thieves says Jesus, he acknowledges Jesus as doing nothing wrong, even though he was guilty in Luke 23. You see, fam, we get this list of ways that Jesus is innocent. Even the person in charge of giving him his sentence is trying to understand how is this making sense. It's making sense because we needed someone like us, but not like us. We needed someone who was a man who was fully human to experience what what we would experience. 
We needed someone to take on this weight of death, but we needed someone not like us because if he had been just like us, he would have been just as dirty as us. There's been times where I'm playing outside with my kids in the mud and we are having a ball and we all come in the house and it's time to clean up. And the first thing I do is cleanse myself. Because I can't start to help clean my baby up if I'm still dirty. You see, this sin, this dirt, this filth that had us contaminated, we could not save ourselves because we were filthy. But we needed one that was innocent, blameless and pure to be the one who could take death that we should have received And only an innocent God who was also fully man could take that on. But while we ask who is Jesus and we realize he's an innocent man, he is also guilty of something. Maybe not what you would have thought, but he's guilty of something that's a little bit different. This man, Barabbas, he was an insurrectionist. That means he was coming to overthrow the government. This man, Barabbas, who was a murderer, wanted to see Rome overtaken and a new kingdom ushered in. So while Jesus' method, Jesus' strategy, Jesus' very purpose was to bring in a new kingdom, It was nothing like the mode and operation of Barabbas, but it was still with the same end goal. That a new kingdom would be ushered in. And so in some ways, Jesus, too, wanted to see the government overthrown. But not through power, might and force, but through humility and service. And so when you ask, who is this Jesus? You first get to understand that he is innocent of all charges trumped up against him. That he's guilty of bringing in a new kingdom. There is a a famous painter named Rembrandt. And uh, the person who wrote this down uh, did not write their name. But they said that uh, if you look at Rembrandt's painting of the three crosses, your attention would first be drawn to the center cross on which Jesus died. Then as you would look at the crowd gathered around the foot of the cross, you'd be impressed by the various facial expressions and actions of the people involved in the awful crime of crucifying the Son of God. Finally, though, your eyes would would drift to the edge of the painting. You would catch the sight of another figure almost hidden in the shadows. Art critics say that this representation is Rembrandt himself. For he recognized that by his sins, he helped to nail Jesus to the cross. You see, family, these people who said they wanted to see an innocent man crucified. These people that we vilify and could see as being the demise of Christ, these people were us. 
It is a burden that we all carry because we all come to the table with sin. And because we bring forth sin, that sin is like a hammer. Digging the nails deeper. But we are grateful. Grateful for what Christ endured to free us from the bondage of sin. Continue with me in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes, put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his own cross. And they brought him to the place called Gilgatha, where which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that he that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Where does this situation start? Where does this take place? Starts in Jerusalem at the governor's headquarters. But that situation then gets moved to Golgotha, the place of the skull and if you were to look up Golgotha, the, 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 the Greek term moved into Latin. The Latin term is Calvary locus. It's where we get our understanding of the English term Calvary. So Golgotha and Calvary are the same place. But what's crazy is, is, is the experience that Jesus goes through. First, why? Why does Jesus go through such an agonizing ordeal? Isaiah says it this way. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, which means our sins, that, that he went through this for us. Plainly put, he did it for you. He did it for me. So if you wonder why so much pain, so much torment, just consider the depth of sin. Consider how much of, of, a, of a weight was cast upon his shoulders and how much he went through to free us from those shackles. It says he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us 
peace. And with his wounds or by his wounds, we are healed. But let's for a minute talk about those wounds. Let's talk for a second about what this Jesus went through. Because he did it for you, he did it for me, but what exactly did he do? He was treated like a thief. First off, to even have to go through this process, he was, he was brought low. No, and we're not talking about a carpenter no more. We're not talking about, about you know, uh, an average citizen committing a crime. Even for him to be sanctioned to the cross was another level. In, 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 in a magazine called Today in the Word, Julius Caesar at one point in his political career uh, was feeling, ran, that, that things were just so high against him that he thought it was best for him to leave Rome. He sailed for the, the, the island of Rhodes, but in route, his ship was attacked by pirates and Caesar was captured. The pirates demanded a ransom of 12,000 gold pieces. Caesar's staff was sent away to arrange for the payment to come back to the pirates. Caesar spent almost 40 days with his captors, jokingly telling the pirates on several occasions that he would someday capture and crucify them. The kidnappers were greatly amused, but when ransom was paid and Caesar was freed, the first thing he did was gather a fleet to pursue those pirates. They were captured and they were crucified. Such was the Romans' attitudes towards crucifixion. It was to be reserved for the worst of criminals, a means of showing extreme contempt for the condemned. The suffering and humiliation of a Roman crucifixion was unequaled. This is what our Jesus was condemned to. This is, this, is, this is the verdict that he received. It's not simply what will take place physically. It also is how he is viewed emotionally, societally. And so when people mock him, they're joining with the way sometimes we treat people today. As if he was less than, less than human not their equal. A target for anger, a target for hostility, a target for mocking, a target for spitting, a target for violence. As we are standing in a time within, within our nation's history where there's all types of pain and hurt that's taking place, where people are having acts of violence just like targeted towards them for no reason. We begin to get a glimpse of, of this Jesus and our need for his saving grace. Jesus went through the, the flogging experience of of, of a whip that had multiple cat nails attached to the end of it, and then they would take it and beat you with it. 
But it, the goal was to, to grab a little bit of flesh and then take a little bit of it with them. This was the type of beating that Jesus went through, uh, a, a crown of thorns, thorns that were inches long. Oftentimes beaten down onto your head. A, a nailing of your limbs to a wood beam with the hope that while you are humiliated, at some point, exhaustion is what takes your last breath. This Jesus, we understand what he went through for us creates a, a gratitude, a, a thankfulness. It also reminds us of the evil that exists in this world and the temptation for us to, be per, to also advance that evil. Continue with me, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So many things that you could get wrapped up in and that could grab your attention. Why would he say that to his father? Have you ever been in agony? Have you ever been at the point of despair? Have you ever been at a place where you sometimes stopped and said, come on now, God. I know you with me, but this pain, you letting this type of pain take place? You letting this type of distress take place? Jesus was real. Jesus did what any of us would have, should have done if we had been near our own fathers. We would have said, Dad, what's up? What's going on here? Dad, why have you forsaken me? That's the depths of this pain. It wasn't a turning his back on God. It wasn't a rejection of who God was. It was a cry of desperation. But, but if you ask the question, why? Why does Jesus go through this? Why does he enter into such despair? It happens because of verse 39. How do we get from celebrating who this Jesus is to seeing him punished? It's because of verse 39. 
And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. You see, up until this point, we keep hearing stories of how the Jews are responding to Jesus, how the Jews hear of this this man that he's raised from the dead, this Lazarus, and the Jews are coming around like, yes, we will believe, we will walk, but Centurion, Centurion is discounted. Centurion is a Gentile. Centurion is as far away from the Gentiles as you can imagine. Centurion is not supposed to be in the scope of worshiping Jesus. And it is in those words, truly this man was a son of God, that we get the full extent of Jesus's death, that it was for all. It was for you. No matter your background, no matter your age, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your race, that it was for you. That you and I have to wrestle just like that centurion at the bottom of the cross where we have to say, will we acknowledge God? We acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And we see his lordship clearly extended to all mankind. So why does he go through this? He goes through it so that the extent of his saving grace will reach all mankind. But I love that we constantly get a a picture of the Bible that's countercultural. We constantly get Jesus saying, first shall be last. And in a culture where sisters and the word of sisters was oftentimes uh, uh, second class, the primary witnesses of it all, of this entire ordeal, are women. And their voice helps give us clarity to this entire ordeal. Look at me in verse 40. There also were women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him into Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was, also, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. 
these witnesses, they, they, they end on a somber note. You see, everything that Jesus has talked about, everything Jesus has said, every miracle that Jesus has performed was to build to this moment. This moment where we were expecting something more. I love the courage of the women because we had disciples that in the midst of this crowd were denying Jesus and the sisters just keep rocking with them all the way to the tomb. But this Jesus, it doesn't seem like it's about to play out like we had heard. It doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's it being executed. The plan seems to, to take a, a, a saddened shift and we end at the tomb and the tomb is now closed. It ends kind of somber. No bows. To wrap it up, no neatness at this point in the story. Just heartache. Some sadness, some, some letdown. And so if I were to ask you a, another word that I left out of that, that who, what, where, why, there's another word that gets added that's not a, W is how. How are we going to get out of this situation? I encourage you to join us on Sunday when we celebrate how Jesus gets us out of this situation. You see, if you stop the story right here, oh, you miss such a beautiful conclusion. You miss a story that we get to enter into as people because that story is powerful. We want you to come back on Sunday for our service at 10 o'clock and celebrate Christ with us. Because you want to hear how Jesus does the unthinkable. But because today is a day where I don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. I'm not exactly sure what will take place in the next 30 minutes. I want to give you this opportunity. An opportunity to believe what took place. Pastors, deacons, deaconess, uh, elders, ushers, everybody, uh, Christians. Our faith is set on the reality that what took place in these scriptures is real. That from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday, each of those things takes place the way the Bible describes. And you get an opportunity right now to believe it like the centurion or to reject it like the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were the key ones that, that when Barabbas had a chance to be taken and 
made guilty instead of this innocent Jesus. The Pharisees were the ones that stoked the fire in the crowd and manipulated the crowd to choose Barabbas. And if you don't love Jesus, if you reject Jesus, if you don't see Jesus as Lord, then you are just like the Pharisees trying to manipulate your way through life. And today, we offer you an opportunity to accept this God. Yes, Jesus is God. To accept the offer that he extends to you that the pain and agony of the cross, he says, was worth it. It was worth it for you. It's worth it so that you could experience joy. It was worth it so you could experience new life. It was worth it so that you wouldn't be manipulating others and being manipulated by sin and Satan. You could be free from all of that and you could walk in the steps God has provided. But like the centurion, you got to accept it. And so today, if you want to live for Jesus, Simply repeat after me. God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you are God. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I can't do it on my own. I'm thankful you did it for me. Now, Lord, allow me to submit to your ways and not choose my own. Allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in me that I might live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have said those words, if you didn't even say them, but you was repeating it in your mind and your heart as you sat there with us, we are grateful. We are so grateful for you making a choice to live for Christ, and we are so grateful to the Lord for pricking your heart. Please fill out that contact card. And if you are joining us from somewhere else online and you know we're near Detroit or nowhere near the east side and you're like, I'm never coming to your church. That's cool. Join another church. Go somewhere where this flame that's been lit in you can, can spread and just be f- so you can be on fire for the Lord. We love for you to be a part of that kingdom that Jesus Christ is guilty of bringing in. We're grateful for you.